Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is A Wielder Does Not Know Regret by Catherine Karsh. Catherine Karsh spent her childhood playing in the woods, frequently with an old copy of Asimov's or Analog rolled up and tucked in a back pocket. She was still pretty young when she started writing her own stories. For nearly two decades, she's continued playing in the woods as a biology teacher. When she's not lesson planning or grading lab reports, she's either reading stories, writing stories, spending time with her family, or sitting quietly in nature, just being. Find her online at katherinekarsh.com. That's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-K-A-R-C-H.com or on Mastodon at karshwrites at wandering.shop. That's K-A-R-C-H-W-R-I-T-E-S at wandering.shop. Let's jump in. You were walking down a winter road that carves a gentle arc through a forest of hemlock and fir. Somewhere, a brook flows along icy banks, the soft murmur of its water slipping between wide trunks and snowbent branches. In your hand, a folded square of paper with the following. A request for the services of a wielder. Take the western road from the citadel. Do not look ahead. Do not look behind. Do not lose yourself. Quantum variations of the message's meaning swirl upon the paper, marking its authenticity. You fold it closed, hold it tightly in your hand. From somewhere close to the road, a songbird chirps a high, two-toned note. Phoebe! The sound elicits a smile. You stop walking, head tilted toward the tiny creature, and wield. The world bends around awareness time slowing until it is like cool honey dripping from the comb of consciousness. Eternity spirals outward, and in the endlessness of now, every possible variation of the bird's greeting is a joy. Delighted, you release the moment. Time flows freely once again. A curtain of clouds is sliding into view over the treetops to the west. Their gray tones hint at snow. Barely visible behind them, the sun hangs upon a notably low zenith, and even as you hold your mind in stillness of now, nature's rhythms ebb and flow in the biology of your body. A gentle hunger tugs for attention. It is midday. Beside the road, a fallen pine lies blanketed in a powdery layer of snow that brushes cleanly from the rough corrugations of its bark. This is a good spot to sit and eat. The pack you set between your feet is filled with items that invite speculation. With hunger as an anchor, though, it is safe to explore its contents. A blanket roll, wool shirt, pants and socks, a hunting knife with a keen edge and a worn grip, a small measuring device of tarnished brass with the letters L, R, and P etched into one corner of the dull metal. You pull it from the pack, turn it over in your hands, set it aside. In a folded square of linen, you find several morel mushrooms. Their rich flavor sharpens the hunger in your belly, but a second folded square of linen yields a sizable cache of salted ground nuts. There is a palm-sized book in the pack as well. Its leather cover is inscribed with the title, Poems, 
You glide your thumb along the soft and fuzzy edges of the book's pages. Words shape and stack themselves upon the paper, but you do not read them. Instead, you tuck the book back into the folds of the pack. It feels right not to spoil their undifferentiated state of totipotence. The measuring device is cold now from lying on the ground. You use it to check the height of the sun's journey. Today, it says, is winter solstice. The turning of the year. With a fistful of snow, you chill the blade of the knife, draw it across your forearm alongside five matching scars. The pain anchors you, tethers you to the present, makes it possible to look beyond its boundaries, to see, if only briefly, how long it has been since you chose to become a wielder. Six years. There is a pinching in your chest that feels like sadness. Then it is gone. A strip of linen deftly tied is enough to pull the edges of the wound together and stop its bleeding. You roll down your sleeve, wipe blood from your blade, and set off again. Evening is settling into the low places of the forest now, and a heaviness is building in your legs, a fatigue that implies a long day of walking. Your left forearm aches. Ahead, where the road curves and vanishes from sight, a figure stands silhouetted in the gloaming. The distance is too far to make out many details beyond the figure's stance, the wide and staggered placement of feet, the hunched, uneven slant of shoulders. Hello? A man's voice calls out. Are you coming from the Citadel? You shake your head. I cannot look backward to answer that question. The man tips his head like a squirrel at the sound of a snapping twig. You are close enough now to see him clearly. He is dressed in layers of leather and fur to fend off the cold. His face is mostly hidden by a thick beard, but there is an urgency in the pull of his brows, the shape of his lips, the dark shadows beneath his eyes. He squints. Recognition haunts his features. His shoulders tense. It's you, he says. A simple enough truth. It's me. You are a wielder, then. I am. I sent word to the guild that I needed a wielder, but... His voice tapers into a stillness forming between you. Then it is good I am here. You hold up the paper in your hand the words swirling in ever-shifting fractals of meaning that only a wielder can parse. He tugs the back of his neck with a mittened hand, brow pinched as if in pain. I didn't expect them to send you. Our guild serves all who have need for our craft. The light has all but left the world now. A quiet chill settles in as you regard one another. Him wary and uncertain, you patient and eternal. Snowflakes begin to drift down through the evening air. Are you truly a wielder? You smile at the wonder in his voice. I am. His mouth tightens as if to bite back something pressing for release. When he finally speaks, his words are stumbling. You, I, my daughter, she's sick. There is more, you are certain, but you accept what he tells you. I am sorry to hear it. I've tried everything, but nothing's worked. I have food, a fire, a bed for the night. Will you help her? Such questions. You smile. I cannot look ahead to see, 
but I am done walking for today. His cabin is small but sturdily crafted. The close-set timbers deftly chinked. A season's worth of split wood is stacked beneath the roof's south-facing overhang. Smoke curls from a fieldstone chimney. The sight of it evokes a sense of comfort. Of home. Inside, it is warm and softly lit. A single open room filled with a table, three chairs, and a wooden chest in one corner. Everything speaks of a hard but good life. Wordless, you lean your pack by the door, then set to removing your many layers. When done, he gestures for you to sit at the small table and presents a bowl filled with something thick and steaming. It smells of carrots and onion and wild garlic scapes. Between each bite, you take in the smaller details of his home. A copper pan and cook pot reflect the firelight like lanterns from where they hang on the wall. The wooden chest is a work of art its edges embellished with decorative carvings that suggest a focused mind and a steady hand. Atop the chest sits a daguerreotype in an oval frame. In the image, the man stands beside a dark-haired woman in a white dress. They're both smiling, but you see whispers of doubt clinging to the edges of the woman's eyes. Who is she to you? you ask. He turns away and sets to washing the dinnerware. His voice is husky with sorrow when he answers. My wife. Yes, of course. You pull in a slow breath, noting the myriad scents filling the cabin. Sweat, wood smoke, vegetable stew simmering in the fireplace, mink oil, damp wool, a child's sickness, sour and sharp. There is a ladder leading to a narrow loft overhead. The child is buried deep in a nest of old blankets. Her face glows with fever. Strands of dark hair cling to her sweat-sheened forehead. A necklace circles her throat. Six polished beads hang from its leather cord. The man comes to stand at the base of the ladder, but says nothing. Let me see what can be done, you say. Careful not to wake the child, you squeeze in beside her, find a comfortable position, take hold of this moment with your mind, and wield. Reality stretches into an endless state. The child's life unfurls before you. Strings of possibility vibrate and shine in an iridescent rainbow of colors. Some tangle with your own, a tickling, pleasant sensation. No wielder possesses the skill to touch infinity, but you can trace many of the girl's strings, heft their weight, gauge their strength and flexibility. Time regains its linearity. The child's chest rises and falls in labored pants, and a sadness settles into your heart. You cannot resist reaching out to caress her feverish cheek. Such a sweet young sparrow. The thought bubbles up, unexpected. A temptation to look away from the present and lose yourself. Worse, lose the magic you possess now. Deep breath in, slow breath out. The moment passes. The child's illness has taken hold deep in her lungs you say as you climb down the ladder to the man below. Many of her strings are collapsing. He looks stricken, eyes shining in the firelight, brimming with tears. There's nothing you can do then. She's going to die. A silly question. Though the strings of every creature are unique, 
ever-shifting froths of potentiality diverging in beautiful and limitless arrays. They all share one commonality. With gentle sympathy, you answer, all threads end eventually. My little bird, ever since... He swallows hard, eyes fixed on the floor. She's all I have left. You should refuse. Reversing entropic decay requires perfect focus and an enormous transfer of energy. It is not without danger, even for a master wielder. You are only a journeyman, but the sorrow in the man's voice is evident of the truth in his words. It is settled then. I can help you. You settle in beside the child. Her pulse is rapid and weak beneath your fingers as you bring your thoughts to the focal point of the girl's origin. You set yourself like a fulcrum in the space between what is yet to come and what has passed, and stretch. At the very center of the child, where infinite variations of a single life hum and swirl, the strings of reality are thin and fading. It is difficult work, gauging and assessing, finding threads that are both long and stable. Each transfer of energy from one potential life to another introduces uncertainty and invites a spontaneous collapse. Slowly, carefully, thread by thread, you wield. Fatigue is gnawing at your edges, so you release your attention from the girl. Time flows once again. The angry flush of fever is withdrawing from the child's cheeks. Her pulse is settling, but her breath sound wet as though her lungs are filled with water. You activate your parasympathetic pathways. Rest. Recover. Wield. Thread by thread, you reshape the fabric of the child's existence. Rest. Recover. Wield. Again. 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 Daylight is easing back into the world now. The illness is not gone, but the girl has a wild, fierce little spirit, you tell the man. Her possibilities are strong now. Thank you, he says, and wraps you in a hug. There is a bed tucked beneath the cabin's loft. You accept his offer to rest, and sleep comes swiftly. Long beams of sunlight catch in motes of dust that drift and settle across an oval portrait atop a wooden chest. A bed of glowing coals pops in the hearth. The thick aroma of molasses and peppered yams permeates the warm cabin as a man sitting by the fire lifts the lid of a cast iron pot and stirs the contents. You stretch, rise to dress. From the loft overhead comes the sound of a small body shifting. Stay for dinner the man by the hearth says. His face gives no sign of threat, though there is a certain familiarity to his features and his voice. As a wielder, the intuitive sense of knowing this man cannot be examined, only acknowledged. Thank you. I am hungry. His smile falters, but he nods, then turns back to tend the pot above the fire. You slide into one of the three chairs at the table, and watch in silence while he retrieves a pan from the wall. The pan sizzles, and the smell of grease and frying chicory root is a delight. What's it like? He asks with his back to you. 
The Citadel, I mean. Your pulse quickens. There are rules that must be followed when speaking with a wielder, and you are certain that this man knows he is breaking them. Why do you ask a question I cannot answer? I'm sorry. It's just... It's good to see you again. He turns to set the food on the table, catching your gaze furtively. A series of creaks and shifts from above draw your attention upward. The face of a young girl is peeking down from the loft. She is pale, thin, brown hair tangled and dirty, but her eyes are bright and curious. For several moments, long even without your magic stretching the world, the two of you regard one another. She does not speak. Instead, she regards you with an openness and a calmness befitting a member of your guild. Hello, little bird, you say, then look at the man. He's gone still and is staring. With a startling ferocity, he begins to weep. His broad shoulders sag inward. His head sinks toward his chest and he collapses into his chair. You really don't remember, do you? He cries. To remember is to forget. A wielder. But you weren't always a wielder. You had a family. You had a life. Do I not have a life now? He shakes his head in frustration. Please don't leave. You can stay here. You can stay with us, Lena. That name in his voice plucks hard upon a single string, sets it vibrating with a force that bends your awareness toward it. Strings resonate, harmonize, phase with one another. A probability begins to manifest as a memory. You stand, leave dinner untouched upon the table, retrieve your pack from beside the door. I must go. The man's eyes fill with anguish. It's been six years, Lena. He is hurting, but this hurt is a thing you cannot heal, a weight you dare not carry, a test. The strings of your reality continue to orient into parallel states, with fewer and fewer degrees of freedom. Your breath grows shallow. I am a wielder. I look neither forward nor back. I am here, now, always. There is nothing to miss. His grief overbalances, tips into anger. That's a lie. There is. You had a life. A family who loved you. The guild showed up and... Stop! Without conscious thought or intent, driven by the biology of your panicked body, you wield. Time slows, stops, stretches, expands, elongates, ceases. There is only now. From the loft above, the girl continues to watch, her eyes calm and without judgment. You smile up at her. She is beautiful in all her various possibilities. Be well, little bird, you think. Cold bites at your cheeks as you close the door on the warmth of the space within the cabin and let time flow once more. The sun is sliding slowly downward on its journey toward the end of the day. In your hand, a folded square of paper with the following. The Citadel welcomes you, Master Wielder. Take the eastward road. Do not look ahead. Do not look behind. Do not lose yourself. 
quantum variations of the message swirl upon the paper, thus marking its authenticity. You fold it closed, hold it tightly in your hand. As the shadows lengthen, a gray bird hops from branch to branch in a nearby tree. A smile touches your lips at the sight of a pink underbelly as it fluffs itself against the cold, black eyes curious and bright. Phoebe, it calls, and your whole existence catches on the sound. The center of awareness shifts. The strings of reality harmonize into the memory of a child's name and of a choice made. The world shivers, tightens, threatens to collapse into something singular. You draw a slow, deep breath in and hold it. The moment passes and you remain. That was A Wielder Does Not Know Regret by Katherine Karsh. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.